Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Okay, it was Mornings with Carmen last hour, but this hour, as you may have heard, Carmen is having to um, go off. She's got a speaking engagement. She's been broadcasting remotely yesterday, today, and she'll do it again tomorrow from Chicago. She's attending the Christian Leadership Alliance, and uh, in about 10 minutes, she'll actually be on stage speaking. So uh, be in prayer for her and her speaking engagement, because when she uh, we connected this morning, she had a bit of a tickle in her throat, and it's like, oh boy, this isn't good, but keep her in prayer. I'm Paul, usually the producer of the show, but I've stepped over to the other side of the board and picked up the mic, and I'm, I'll be with you for the next hour, at least kind of, because we'll still be hearing from Carmen later on this hour. An interview we did with J.D. Greer, we recorded that last week, and uh, we're going to be using that... We'll be playing that. This is one of those things where, you know, we rip back the veil a little bit, you know, you get behind, peek behind the curtain and you see the man flicking all the switches. And this is one of those situations where, okay, some things we do on the morning show have to be pre-recorded because J.D. Greer is not available during the morning hours. And there's other guests sometimes who like our, you know, our California guests. And for them to get up at, you know, four or five in the morning and be alert, nah, doesn't work that well. Anyway, thank you for joining me. Again, I'm Paul Perot filling in this hour here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. And I'm wondering, did, were you part of our um, our campaign this past January or even the one prior where we asked you to sponsor a child through the organization One Child? And one of the things that really excited me, especially as I toured in Honduras a couple of Novembers ago, getting to know the work of these hope centers that, that One Child has, these hope centers are run by local churches. And they know their community. They love their community. They, are, they can be a catalyst of great things in very poverty-stricken areas. How much so? Well, somebody finally put a number value to it, a monetary value. There's an organization called uh, Tear Fund. Is that right? Yeah, Tear Fund. And um, I saw this at Premier Christian uh, News, so premierchristian.news, about superhero churches lifting the world's poorest out of poverty. So for the first time, a monetary value has been put on the positive change that a church in a low-income country can bring to people's lives and well-being. The Christian Relief and Development Agency, Tier Fund, surveyed 8,000 people, it is, in Rwanda, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Sierra Leone. What they found is that investing through local churches is a highly effective way to improve well-being for those communities. It showed basically, now I'm going to translate to American dollars, it's, it's a British website and they put it in pounds, but basically for every dollar invested through churches, the community benefits like $28 of social value. Things such as food, medicine, schooling, resilience to unexpected events and financial earnings. 
essentially, and also Tierfund found this out. It says improvements to well-being were felt irrespective of whether individuals attend the church and its programs or not. Oh, that our churches here in America could have that same. Maybe they do. I mean, the reality is, you know, we, we hear about faith FEMA when there's a disaster, say, like there's a hurricane that hits or the tornadoes that uh, that hit down in Mississippi. And you have the situation where it's the churches that come and are quick to respond to the needs of the community. And they, they become that catalyst for recovery, for resilience. So I guess in a way it does work that way as well. Another news item that came across, and this was also from overseas. Did you ever hear of Katie Forbes? Katie is the finance minister for government uh, for Scotland in that country. Now, they had a bit of a turnover. Their first minister resigned, and she's of the same party, the, Nation- the Scottish Nationalist Party. And she was – here she is, 32 years old. She's a young new mom, but she was also well-respected within the party. And so they asked her to run for, for the party's first minister. For the for the for the uh, Spa- Scottish Assembly or whatever it's called, their their, their Parliament, their their uh, Scottish Parliament. Well, it came out now. Katie Forbes is an as a Christian. She's part of what is called the Free Church of Scotland. It's a small denomination that broke off from the more theologically liberal Church of Scotland, and her faith became an issue. I mean, she she was out there, you know, not. Not shouting it like that, but, you know, she was honest about it. I believe in the person of Jesus Christ. She had said in the past, I believe that he died for me. He saved me and that my calling is to serve and to love him and to serve and love my neighbors. Well, as she was running, there there's some organizations, some people that pushed back against her. They they said and her her own party was saying, hey, can you tamp it down just a little bit? You don't 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 bring up this faith stuff. But it's like, wait a minute, I can't deny my savior. And so she chose chose not to fudge the issue, and she was on. I mean, she was honest about things. She said what she would do, she wouldn't do, but she never backed down from showing her love for God and for her neighbor. Well, the election finally happened within the uh, Scottish National Party, and she fell short of victory, uh, forty eight to fifty two percent, to a liberal candidate. But the thing is, a lot of people picked up on the fact, hey. A politician speaking the truth, having integrity, not afraid to to stand what stand up for what they believe in, that could be good for the country. And so she's made a positive mark. And, you know, some people are dismissing her. You know, British politics is kind of – or even Scottish politics can be interesting. But who knows? Uh, you look at what happened with the Winston Churchill, how he fell out of power and people said he was washed up and, and he came back twice. So – so when you're around someone you deeply disagree with, what do you feel in the pit of your stomach? Do you ever challenge your emotions at this moment? Do you feel you can? I'm hoping we can. And we're going to talk with Mike Dunahee, formerly with the musical group um, 10th Avenue North. He does, he's a solo musician now, but he also is an author. His second book is out called Grace in the Gray. And uh, Michael will be joining me in just a few moments. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in this hour here on Faith Radio.
Love is here. I first heard that song, I think, in 2007, before the actual album came out from 10th Avenue North, uh, which, uh, that, that was about right, right? 2008, was it, Michael, that that yeah, album two, came out? Yeah, 2008. You got it, bro. Because I remember you and one of your band members visited uh, the station I was at, and, you know, we were just... Did a little session, did that song, and I just... Let me put it this way, Michael, you had me at Love Is Here. There you go. <laughs> Everybody likes to be loved at the first moment. There, there you go. Anyway, Michael Donahue joining me now here on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. And we're not going to talk much about the music, although, boy, Michael, I could talk a long time about your music because I've loved it, uh, both with 10th Ave. I mean, you guys... Uh, let me put it this way... Um, Oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, worn. That came at a time yeah. in my life that was just, I was worn out. And man, that that was right there for me. So thank you so much for that song, too. Oh, man, you're welcome. So now, okay, musician, you're now doing solo solo work. Um, but you're also a podcaster. You're a songwriter, storyteller, communicator, thought instigator. Mm, that sounds kind of... There you go. And you're instigating some good thoughts, I think, as uh, your latest book is out. Your second, uh, Grace in the Gray, A More Loving Way to Disagree. Now, this comes after your first book, which is Finding God's Life for My Will. That's a funny play on words where you did that one. But this is your sophomore book, and you had plans in mind for this book that went yeah. from— <laughs> Tell us the story about how your plans got changed. You know, being a musician, you get used to being disagreed with. And then you add the fact that I'm a husband and I have four daughters, so pray for me. Mm. But I get disagreed with a lot. And being amongst churches, our band probably played in over a thousand different churches over the years, uh, across countries, in every state but one. Did you know that? Our band played... We played a concert in every single state except Rhode Island. What? Which is very funny. Um, but as you travel around, uh, you get used to hearing hot takes on very controversial mm. topics. And so when I first started writing this book during the pandemic, you know, I thought I would just write about every controversial topic I ever came across, uh, specifically in the churches that we would play. And very quickly, I realized that, man, people have kind of already done this work, and people have done a great job uh, bringing forth both sides on things. But what happened was, as I was sort of you know, communicating with people online, especially, and in real life, but especially online, people started telling me, hey, Mike, hey, when that person disagreed with you on that, I was really waiting for you to just blast them. Oh, yeah. And I was actually more convicted not by your position, but by the posture you were taking as you would respond to people. And I actually disagree with your premise of the point you were making, but the way you were making me, the way you were making it convicted me. Mm. And I said, man, maybe there's a book there. Mm. Now, your wife helped you out on this, didn't she? I got. I, we got to give props to your wife here, you know. 
Oh, yeah. You know, she started disagreeing with me very quickly <laughs> when we got married. And the thing she always challenged me on was when she would correct me or disagree with me, I would always get very defensive or very defeated. And through her steadfast love, after she would disagree with me, I started learning that defensiveness and defeatedness are never going to get us anywhere. Mm. And one of the most annoying verses that keeps popping up throughout the book of Proverbs is this statement. A wise man loves correction and a foolish man hates it. Mm -hmm. And if I'm honest, when I first got married, I hated being corrected and being married now almost 15 years, I've actually started to learn to like it. Mm. We're going to talk more about this. We have to take a brief break as we uh, continue here on Mornings with Carmen. Michael Donahue from formerly of the band, um, 10th Avenue North, and now doing solo music. And if you've not ever checked out Michael's music, go to his website, which is michaeldonahue.com, or you can you can pick up a lot of it on Spotify, YouTube, you name it. It's good stuff, whether it's with the band 10th Ave or some of the solo stuff. But today we're talking about, because Mike is a good writer, a good thinker, and uh, Grace and the Gray is his new book. Oh, uh, I do have a handful of copies to give away. So if you're interested in winning a copy, text the word book, just those four letters. Don't put emojis or anything else. Just those four letters, book, to 877 933-2484, and we'll continue talking with Michael in just a moment here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Okay, you've you've seen the videos. Maybe you've shared some of these videos on your Facebook feed of somebody who is destroying another another person's argument and shutting down their opponent. And okay, even if the facts are right, the posture on a lot of those does that really exemplify Christ? We're talking right now with Mike Donahue formerly with the band um, 10th Avenue North and author of a couple of books. His second one is out, Grace and the Gray, A More Loving Way to Disagree. Okay, Mike, let's let's start getting into that whole issue of, of posture because it is, it is so important. If, if people don't know that you love them, that, 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 that's a big difference right there, right? Well, absolutely. You know, everybody... Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of especially Christians that I've met, they think that their job is to speak the truth, and it doesn't matter how offensively they speak it Mm -hmm. because, hey, if I'm telling you the truth and you're offended by it, that's on you. But my job is to tell you the truth. The problem is Paul gives these caveats throughout his letters. He says things like speak the truth in love. He says, I could utter profound mysteries, but if I have not love, I'm a clanging symbol. And then some will say, well, that's, but love, the loving thing to do is to tell them the truth. So the way I got thinking about this for the book was I was thinking about when my band got picketed. Okay. 
There's your a band got people. picketed. Oh yeah, several times. And this particular time, there's a group of people outside saying that we played the devil's music. You know, mm. so I went outside and I talked to them, and I said, "Hey guys, how's it going?" And they said, "Well, you're playing the devil's music. That's what's going." And I said, "Okay." And meanwhile, they were shouting at the people in line that they were going to hell and dressed like whores of Babylon. And I said, how do you guys feel like your approach is going? And they said, what do you mean? I go, I said, how do you feel like the strategy is working out? Are you seeing a lot of conversions? And they said, it doesn't matter. We're telling them the truth. I said, ah, man, we didn't make a lot of headway no. in our conversation. But I went back in and I was trying to figure out where in Paul's letters it addresses something this specifically. And I stumbled upon this passage in 2 Timothy 2, where Paul's coaching a young pastor, Timothy, to avoid quarrels. And he ends his little uh, admonition to Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, remember, correct your opponents with all gentleness. Mm. And there it was that a lot of us think it's our job just to correct, and we never consider that we also must do it with all gentleness. And then this is the real kicker. Then he says, perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the truth. Mm. And what I found is a lot of people don't really believe it's God's job to change people's minds. They think it's theirs. And when you realize that perhaps God's the one who's going to open eyes, who's going to change their mind, then you don't have to seal the deal, as it were. Mm -hmm. You're freer to speak the truth with gentleness, with love, because it's not just you trying to change someone's mind. God's yeah. the one doing it. Okay, Michael Dunn, he's our guest this this uh, segment here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen this hour. and Oh, I could go a couple of different directions here, Michael, because you look at number one, there's this passage where Jesus is talking. This is actually, no, John was talking about Jesus. This is before he's getting ready to suffer. And it talks about how Jesus, knowing that he came from God, he basically knew his identity. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he didn't have to lash out or anything. Even though his disciples were going to be doing some boneheaded stuff here very shortly and rejecting him as he heads to the cross. And yet there's this humility and there's this, quietness that he had. We could go there, but I do want to go another direction here because you say something in the book, before you see someone else as a threat, maybe take a moment to recognize that the threat might actually be you. Can you, we have like two minutes here. Can you help us parse that really quickly, how we can do that self-analysis? I would say this. The first foremost thing you need to do, if you find yourself getting in a lot of heated debates, take a moment and ask yourself, is my response matching the tone? And if it isn't, if you find you're always going off the handle, you're always having these explosive encounters with people, take a second to look into your heart and say, am I bitter? Am I resentful? I tell this 
ridiculous story in the book where my daughter dropped a fork in the smoothie uh, blender as I was making this big smoothie for them. Ooh. And I didn't see it because it was covered in spinach. And when I went, I hit go, sparks flew. The fork actually burst through the side of the blender and threw cascading smoothie all over the kitchen. Mm. And what was funny is we all want these practices. We want to add prayer and add scripture and add this. But at the end of the day, if you got a fork in your blender, it doesn't matter what you add or what kind of cute practices you learn. You've got to take the fork out of the blender or it's going to come out sideways. That's a cute, that is an amazing word picture. Thank you, Michael. I wish we had more time. But again, Mike Dunahy, his book, Grace in the Gray, A More Loving Way to Disagree. If you would like a win, to win a copy, we do have a few on hand. Uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Michael, thanks again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. All right. We'll be uh, back in just a bit, but first up, Breakpoint. Well, this is Mornings with Carmen. Carmen had to step away. I'm Paul, her producer, filling in for, well, kind of, because we'll be hearing Carmen in just a few moments. First, though, a question. When you first became a Christian, what books did you read to help you understand your faith better? Maybe you were pointed to the Gospel of John, or maybe the Book of Romans in the Bible, or maybe you were given a book like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Now, I remember reading that one and found it very helpful, even though, now, I came to know the Lord around 1980, and there, there was a lot in there was a lot that was really good in that book, but there was a lot that was kind of hard to understand because, well, the book had been written like forty years before me. Some of the illustrations were a bit out of out of date. If you were to hand someone a book, though, maybe you know somebody who came to know the Lord, and you wanted to hand them a book to help explain what it is to be a follower of Jesus and understand this whole Christian thing. What book would you use? Well, Carmen last week talked with J.D. Greer from Summit Life, which you hear here on on uh, Faith Radio. Well, they talked last week about his new book called Essential Christianity, and we're going to hear that conversation in three minutes. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Well, this is going to be fun because you already know the sound of his voice and love the sum- the Summit Life programming here on the Faith Radio Network. J.D. Greer is joining us today. J.D., welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. All right. So um, we're going to talk about your newest book today, Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. I suppose if we really thought we could reduce it to 10 words, that would be um, pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, I, I did worry a little bit that maybe I overpromised with the uh, with the title. My kids get really excited when they see a title like that because, like, Dad, this is going to be so short. Um, but you know, so basically, what it is is I, I was um, a few years ago. I preached through the Book of Romans. I think we've actually aired this series here on on Summit Life. And um, during the the course of of teaching through the Book of Romans, we had over a thousand people in our church profess faith in Christ. It was one of the mm. most incredible seasons we've been through. And what I noticed is that as I went through this, that that there are basically, it was about 10 questions that the Apostle Paul raised in the book of Romans 
that were as relevant in the 21st century as they were in the first century. You know, I mean, a lot of people know that that, that the book of Romans is is kind of famous for its its logical coherence. You know, Harvard Law School for the first hundred years of of its existence used Romans as an example to its students of how to set up an you know an argument, how to anticipate a, um, objections, and then you know lead on to to, to where you want to go. Oh, and so what Paul does is he starts with what we can't not know, and then he just builds it out kind of one question at a time to show you why the gospel is really the only hope for for people of all cultures and all ages and all um, all races. And so I, 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 I identified those 10 questions, um, kind of reduced them down to a word. Uh, they're questions like, how do we know there's a God? Um, if there is a God, why doesn't everybody believe in him? You know, that's a big question people have. Like, if it's so obvious, if he's real, then why doesn't everybody believe the same things about him? Aren't, aren't all religions basically the same? And um, can, can a person know for sure that that when they die, that they'll go to heaven. If Christianity is true, then why do I find the Christian life so difficult? Those are the questions that Paul builds the first 12 chapters of Romans around. And so I reduced it down to, you know, one word for each question and then use that to discuss what what that looks like in the 21st century as opposed to the first century. Hey, if you're thinking that would be really helpful for you to uh, cover some essential Christianity, we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. J.D. Greer is here. You know him from Summit Life. Um, we're talking about his book, um, covers the uh, the first 12 chapters of the book of Romans, Essential Christianity, the Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. Um, J.D., let's talk about the heart of the gospel, goodness, truth, and power. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, essentially the gospel is an announcement of good news. Yeah, mm. it's interesting that um, that the word gospel that the apostles and Jesus used to describe the message was not at the time, it wasn't really a religious word. It just meant any announcement of good news. One of the um, examples I use in the book is when a, a Greek general would win a battle, they would send out uh, an evangelist, a gospel carrier who would go throughout the countryside and proclaim, you know, general so-and-so has won the battle. Um, you know, have joy, be at peace. Uh, go about your lives. Give glory to this general who won the battle for you. It wasn't inviting you to come fight the battle. It was announcing the good news of his victory. Um, well, when the when the the Bible writers wanted to to have a word that that encapsulated what Jesus had done, they chose that word because they were saying God has done everything necessary to save us. He has overturned and broken the power of of sin and death, and He's not calling you to you know. Um, earn your salvation or to, or, or really even, you know, c- complete it. He's just, he's saying, receive it and give glory to um, the Savior who did that for you. Um, when you, you believe that, Paul says, uh, Romans 1, that becomes the power of God to you. Uh, interestingly, the word um, gospel, um, the only other thing in the New Testament, except for Jesus himself, um, that is referred to directly as the power of God is the gospel. The gospel is the power of resurrection. And so Paul's going to say in those first 12 chapters of Romans, not only does it forgive the sinner and not only does it you know, bring new life to spiritually dead people, it, it also renews believers reigniting their passion for the Lord and, um, and, and, and refocusing their lives on the things that really matter. Well, J.D., that's so good. I mean, even when you just make reference to, you know, the fact that there are people who were evangelists for all kinds of things that they thought was mm. good news. Like I, that mm. just reminds me that, you know, when we 
when we agonize today or wring our hands that people don't understand what an evangelical is or think it means something other than we think it means. It just gives us a, a new opportunity to talk about it again and to talk about yeah, the, that's right. the good yeah. news. Um, yeah, and to share it in new and fresh ways to um, to people today who are just as desperately longing to hear it as those who lived in the first century when Paul, you know, wrote this letter to these to these Christians in Rome. Um, what a gift! We're talking with J.D. Greer. The book is Essential Christianity: The Heart of the Gospel in Ten Words. We are giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter that drawing, text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation now with Pastor J.D. Greer. You can listen to him here on Faith Radio on Summit Life. Uh, you can also check in with him um, online at jdgreer.com. We're talking about his new book, Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in Ten Words. If you heard um, J.D.'s sermon series on the, the first 12 chapters of Romans, then uh, then you already, like, you, your appetite is whetted for this book already. So um, enjoying the conversation with J.D. J.D., one of the questions that you you know, address and answer. And so I'll ask you here, um, what is Christianity in a sentence? (laughs) Yeah, Christianity is the announcement, like we talked about before the break. It's the announcement that God in his grace has sent his son, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, to live the life that you and I were supposed to live and then die the death that we were condemned to die. He did that in our place and 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 started a new a new world order, a new kingdom and invites us to receive it, to surrender to him as lord and to um and to uh, and to participate now in his kingdom. I guess that might be a little bit of a run-on sentence, but you know, without any notes in front of me, that's that's how I would I'd say it in a short way. Everything else in the book of Romans kind of uh, springs off of that of that announcement of good news. I feel like anybody that has read and has any experience with the letters of the New Testament is super duper familiar with the concept of a run-on sentence. <laughs> exactly right. I'm just trying to be <laughs> biblical, right. Carmen. They just go on, and I mean, sometimes the sentences go on and on and on. All right. So that answer and the way that you frame that, first of all, it's true truth. And yet, I'm hearing in the back of my mind this 21-year-old who I recently heard on the podcast very arrogantly say, that is just like so old fashioned. And I, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when I was little and I believed that kind of like Sunday school Christianity, but, you know, I'm, I'm sort of smarter than that now. And I guess I'm wondering, JD, like, is that still a satisfactory answer today? Well, it is if Jesus got out of the grave. <laughs> and that's kind of the, you know, what, what, what sometimes people like that 21 year old you're referring to. And I certainly have people like that around here. And, uh, that, that come to our church is uh, they forget that this was old-fashioned and ignorant and out of date when the apostles first said it 
You know, I mean, they, they actually, you know, Acts calls them ignorant and unlearned men. And so the the sophisticated people back then are like, I mean, come on, your hope is in somebody getting out of the grave and you're teaching all this stuff. And and Peter, you know, he just said, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, no offense to you guys. I know you spent a lot of time in school and you got a lot of degrees, but when you got to choose between believing somebody who has a lot of degrees on their wall and somebody else who got out of the grave, then I'm going to go with the person who rose from the dead every single time. Uh, so they recognized that back then, but they, um, you know, and, and this is actually talk about this in the book. Um, they had reasons to believe substantive, mm-hmm. logical, historically verifiable reasons why they were positive that Jesus had ro- risen from the dead. One of the things I always say to people like that, Carmen, as I say, um, you know, if, if Jesus were to come and appear to you just kind of in the flesh, and were to do something that convinced you that it really was him. And he he said, I've risen from the dead and I've, you know, um, and, and begin to teach you all the different things about Christianity. Would you believe them? And most people say, well, yes. And I say, so it's not that it's too backwards and unsophisticated. It's just that you're not really convinced that Jesus is who he says he is or did what he said he did. And that's where Paul starts. The resurrection declares to us that Jesus is who he says he is and that he accomplished what he said he accomplished. Yeah, and we are fools most to be pitied if if the resurrection isn't true. Um, and mm, so sure. I think that as you know, as we consider Easter, um, and as we we prepare our hearts and minds, you know, just in relationship to the resurrection, like I just am going to start using the phrase that you just used a minute ago. Like I'm going with the guy who rose from the dead. That's going to be my like. I'm just I'm going with him. Yeah, that's right. Stick with that guy. I'm going to yeah. stick with that guy. Yeah, you know, there's a big so movement good. right now toward a thing called deconstruction where people are just, you know, they have have, they have legitimate questions, you know, like, has Christianity been used to serve the interests of those in power? And has it been overly politicized? And has it been used as a tool of oppression? Those are all sadly very legitimate questions. What Paul is trying to show you is that that those were questions, different forms, but same kind of questions back in the first century. And religion, organized religion was who killed Jesus. And so he's trying to say that behind these corrupted institutions, there is an essential message that liberates the sinner and transforms people who are broken. That's what this book is about, is saying, let's get behind all the trappings of religion and let's get to the heart of the gospel. Okay, which that kind of brings us to another one of the questions that you ask. And again, the book is Essential Christianity. We are giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Let's talk about, use the word religion and religious. Let's talk about the difference between being religious and being spiritual. Yeah, I mean, I guess if somebody wants to be technical, I mean, you know, religion just means a a, a way of believing and talking about God. But I, I think in the, in the way we typically use the word now, we we think of it in terms of a system, of rules and regulations mm. and institutions. And and just to be clear, I'm a pastor. I mean, so I'm I'm, I'm part of a, you would call it a religious institution. But what you find is that Jesus was consistently on the wrong side of religion, it seems. The religious people didn't like love and accept him. They they led in his crucifixion. And that's because his message was that religious trappings and institutional, you know, f- formality, that those were not the heart of what it meant to know, to know God. I'm not saying they're altogether bad, but that's not the heart of it. Um, that that what what he was introducing was a relationship with the God who created you and a God who had given his his life to to save you. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people will say today, I want to be spiritual, but not religious. Um, I mean, there's a part of that that I kind of, I mean, I'm 
sort of roll my eyes with because it it seems like really trendy and independent. But there's another part of me that I, I say back to them, and I talk about this in the book, is that, yes, I mean, that's exactly what Jesus is offering. God is a spirit, and those who who know him are going to know him in spirit and in truth. And that's an altogether different experience than what you grew up doing, going to church and, you know, um, uh, you know, punching a, some kind of religious card of things that you thought you needed to do to make yourself acceptable to God. That's so good. Um, JD, when you think about uh, your continuing to enter into um, a depth of study of the word of God that produces life, like I, I think that um, it's always fascinating to people to imagine that like you're still in love with the Lord and you're still feasting on the word and you've been doing this a while now. Can you can you talk about maybe this time around? um, Did you learn something compelling from your study of the Book of Romans? Well, yeah, that would be an understatement. I mean, (laughs) you know, uh, Martin Luther says that the gospel is like a well of water. To get the best water from that well, you don't widen the circumference of the well, you go deeper in that well. And so the things that, you know, you learn as a child about, about salvation and about who God is and what the cross was. And those are the things that it's not like you, you grow in Christ by just adding to your knowledge of, you know, all the different isms of theology, you you grow by going deeper into those fundamental things you first learned as a child. Um, that's what happened to me as I study Romans is what Paul seems to be relishing in is he's, he keeps saying, go deeper in the gospel. I love how, how Peter uh, would back Paul up by saying, uh, you know, angels long to look into the things of the gospel. Now you think about all that angels have seen, like, I mean, they've seen some pretty impressive stuff. They, you know, the creation of the world, they've seen, you know, the flood and they've seen God make a donkey talk, but what amazes an angel and what they long to look into are the beauties of the gospel. Well, something tells me if they are not bored with it, then there's plenty there in there for me as well um, to, to continue to just be overwhelmed by. The gospel is a gift. It's a, it teaches that we don't earn our acceptance before God. We're never good enough to earn a place at God's table, that God gives us that as a gift, not because of what we've done, but, but, but because of what Jesus did on our behalf and offered to us. Mm, your um your reference to angels just made my mind wander there for a second. I heard somebody say recently that like you know he thinks people's uh, guardian angels are probably bored, and I'm thinking no no <laughs> mine aren't. Mine are like super busy because every single day right I'm trying to I'm trying to advance the gospel in uh you know in directions and in ways and in spaces that the enemy would very much like to claim for his own. So um, yeah, I don't want bored angels. I want my angels to be yeah. I want to wear them out, man. Um, All right, J.D., um, as always, an absolute delight to get to spend time with you. I'm wondering if um, there's a personal just heart appeal that you want to make to folks who are listening right now um, about engaging in these chapters of Romans through essential Christianity, you know, in order that they might, God might be glorified and they might be edified. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking it that way. Um, So I'll be honest, I, I wasn't totally sure if I wrote this book more for fellow Christians or if I wrote it for people who mm. were investigating Christianity. And in the end, I just kind of said, well, I'm just going to put it out there for both of them. It, 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 I read a book when I was in college, actually two books. One was called Basic Christianity by John R. Stott. The other was Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I was a pretty new Christian. 
And they were just, I mean, what they did and strengthening and clarifying what I believed was amazing. But they also were two of the best books that I knew how to give to people that that just had questions. And so I've given out dozens of copies of Mere Christianity and, and Basic Christianity. Um, both those books are classics. They're amazing. But, you know, they're 50, 60, 70 years old. And so I wanted to um, just do something in, in, in our generation's language that would do the same thing, that would both that would both deepen the the love of the believer for the gospel, clarify it, but also give you a tool by which you could could share it and discuss it with somebody else. It's great for, I don't know, to read with a person, with a, a small group, or even your church, if you're a pastor listening. That's what we do here at our church is we we use it as, as an evangelism tool, you know, a way to start conversations to share Christ. So I hope that it, it serves that purpose. Uh, I will tell you, um, very personal to me, uh, a good friend of mine who's a professor around here, she's actually a writer for the New York Times. She's a professor at a very secular university, described herself as a paragon of the secular left is how she said it. Um, I actually invited her to to read this book as I wrote it, you know, to kind of give feedback. Mm. And uh, during the process, um, she became a believer. Uh, I don't think wow. just because of, of the book itself, but a lot of factors that were happening. And so, um, you know, she said to me in the middle of it, she said, it is amazing how a book written 2000 years ago, the book of Romans, how it answers the same basic questions that both me and my students are asking today. I think you'll have the same experience reading um, not just the book of Romans, but the supplement I, I wrote with it, the, or, the book of Romans in, in 21st century um, discussion and language. Um, I think you'll have the same experience reading it. And I hope it's a, it's a blessing to you like it was to me to study it, study forward and write it. Hey, if you go to thegoodbook.com and you um, and you look at this book, Essential Christianity, there's a downloadable discussion discussion guide, um, and there's some other resources that you can download there as well. So those would be wonderful supplemental materials as you are engaging with this material. Again, the book is Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. You can catch J.D. Greer right here on the Faith Radio Network um, on Summit Life. And yes, we're giving away copies today of the book. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. J.D., as always, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Carmen. Good, good to talk with you. Absolutely, absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, so this past hour, you have a chance at two different books that we're giving away. Hopefully, when you text the word book to 877-933-2484, you get the hyperlink. You fill out all the details about which book you want, as well as your contact information. Because we talked with uh, Mike Donahue, uh, his book, Grace in the Gray, and then Essential Christianity with J.D. Greer. Make sure you let us know which one you're hoping for. Um, if you want both, enter twice. One for... J.D.'s book and the other for Mike Dunny's book. Okay, so I'm Paul, by the way. Carmen had to scoot her out earlier today because she's speaking probably right now at this uh, Christian Leadership Alliance meeting in Chicago. Um, okay, along with hopefully eating well and exercising, what else you're doing to uh, promote your physical well-being? Well, hopefully that includes time with friends, maybe having a walk or exercising with friends. A study that was released on Monday found a connection between having strong friendships and better physical health outcomes. Positive social interactions were found to decrease blood pressure, heart rate, and increase a person's ability to cope with stress. Negative interactions, however, had an even stronger adverse effect on the body. So, yeah, 
hang, hang out with some friends, too, and all that you're uh, doing. Well, again, thank you for listening to Faith Radio. Hey, remember, next week, Holy Week, join us for our special Holy Week devotional study as we travel to the cross with Jesus. You can sign up for that at MyFaithRadio.com. Carmen, back tomorrow morning here on Faith Radio. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.